Welcome to Unaccountable, the world's okayest accounting game show for all you finance nerds. I'm the halfway hot Tyler Otto, and I'm joined by the borderline buff, Jeremy Van Grohl. Good day to you, sir. Good day. You noticed. I love yeah. how we went from the girthy of the last time to trying to build up our self-esteem this time by going the other way. I can tell that you've worked out at least once this year. You're looking good. Thank you. I appreciate that. I would love to reciprocate that comment, but I got to wait to see how the fat bet goes. <laughs> That's true. We're, we're making progress. We're making yeah. progress, but uh, no one is counting those chickens yet. Yes. So, yeah. But a good week for us because no one died because we referenced them. So, hey, put that right? in the win column. Yeah, I'll take that as a win. Well, Jeremy, there is so much freaking going on this week that uh, we got to jump into the games early and we're going to be hitting hard on the ERC news because, oh my goodness, that yeah. just, that blew everything up. But we're going to save that for after halftime. Today, I want to start with a game that's called Updates and Updog. Wait, Updog? What's Updog? Not much. What's up with you, man? Ah, oh, boo. right into it oh god i love it we're gonna be talking updates and so jeremy i have only four questions for you of recent updates on key software as our industry we're gonna see how well you know what has been going on in the latest product announcements you ready for this all right hit me all right question one Taxdome recently announced that they will now allow you to connect directly with what agency? With the IRS, I would guess. Well done, sir. Yes. Taxdome recently announced that you will now be able to pull client transcripts directly from Taxdome as part of your workflow. In fact, you might be able to automate part of it. You'll still need the CAF number, the CAF number for your clients, yeah. which you can submit the form to get that. But once you have that, you can go enter it in and now automatically pull transcripts, which I don't know if any of you have played in Taxdome, but their workflows are getting more and more impressive by the day. See, I have such a hate for tax that even if they put tax in the name of the software, I don't even put it on my list of things to test out. But I, you have played it there before, and I've had a couple other colleagues say that the workflows in TaxDome is pretty sweet. I'll be honest. If Keeper and TaxDome had a baby, like, first of all, it'd be a goofy looking baby. But man, would it be my favorite. Like, it's, it, man, between TaxDome's automations and workflows, Keeper's yeah. quality control, whatnot, if you could marry those two, oh, it'd be the perfect system. I tried to think of like some creative way to put those two names together. I got nothing. Dang. All right. Question two, Jeremy. Yeah. Which payroll processor announced a change to their processes, which will result in less business owners losing two-day payroll due to non-sufficient funds? Oh, I know this one. Gusto. You are correct. So, yes, they recently announced, which I'm sure everyone has experienced this with a client, but the client forgets to make sure they have enough money in their bank account, runs payroll, it bounces. You could even catch it the same day and say, hey, Gusto, this bounce, like, hey, we got the money right here. It just wasn't in the right account. Like, we got it for you. They'll usually write you back and say something along the lines of like, well, just wait to see what happens. And then you get a notice that you're on four-day payroll for the next 90 days. It's annoying as can be. So they recently announced that due to non-sufficient funds, there will be a $100 fee. But if they can recover the funds quickly enough, it will not take you from two-day to four-day. You will just be put on two-day payroll, which I know for a lot of clients will save their bacon. 
Oh, absolutely. And just having some clients don't have that information ready four days ahead of time, right? So you're trying to estimate hours or whatever. That's a mess. I think that's a great move by Gusto because I'd pay that $100 fee all day to I like me as their support. I'm going to charge them it, but like I would still pay it just to make my life easier because that's going to, it's going to complicate things those four days. Well, especially I love Gusto as a software. Sometimes their support isn't the best, but their software right. is so intuitive. I recommend it to clients, but when all of a sudden my recommendation results in them losing the ability to run payroll in under four days, that looks bad on me. I will pay the hundred bucks to fix the problem and get them back on track. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. Question number three, Jeremy, speaking of product updates, iOS 17 was announced this week. And what feature feels oddly reminiscent of something we did in the 90s to screen our phone calls? Ooh, I have no idea. I thought you were going to go the USB-C route and I was ready. I got nothing. So they are introducing live voicemail. This has nothing to do with accounting, but on par for this show, I was excited about it. Because remember in the 90s, you could listen to who was leaving you a voicemail and decide if you want to pick up? Oh, well, yeah. Now, when someone's leaving a voicemail, it'll show you the live transcription on your home screen oh. and you can decide whether or not you want to answer. Who calls and leaves voicemails at this point, right? You should just not. Just don't, right? Like, are we at that point? Hang up, send a text, something else. I don't know. I mean, I get enough ERC firms still calling for the business owner. Oh. I even got one yeah. since last Friday where they're oh, yeah? like, guys, haven't you figured out that you need to get out of this industry now? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Jeremy, question number four. QuickBooks. I feel like it was quietly, but apparently it wasn't as quiet. But QuickBooks just rolled out a new feature that is only available under the new advanced accounting tab if you're using that new view. What feature did they roll out in the last month? I do not know this one at all. No even guesses even. It has to do with the balance sheet, your assets. Thanks. Anything? No, there's no balance. Like I got nothing, Tyler. They rolled out a fixed asset module. They have been teasing this for a while, but now you can go in and enter. I have an asset for 10,000 bucks. It's useful life is five years. It's salvage value is a thousand bucks. And it will automatically do the depreciation industries every month going forward, which for clients with like, you know, a handful of assets, I think this would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. And I did, I, I should know that. Like I did see that. I was like, wait, what is this? And then I'm like, I had to get to do stuff. But meant to circle back. That is cool if it works, right? Like QuickBooks was down this week for a day, like an afternoon or evening. And if those, like you can't see this, but my eye is twitching because that's how much I loved it. So if it works, this would be awesome. Hmm. Well, might I add, there's a couple deficiencies I've already noticed. Like one, there is no automatic reconciliation to your asset accounts and what assets you have in the module. Yeah. And what's worse, I could not find a way to export the list of assets I had so I can go reconcile it oh, no. to the balance sheet account itself, which feels like a huge miss. Like I should at least be able to just say, give me all my computers and then I'll go look at my computer account and make sure those total out, right? Like as oh. I move things from work and process assets to actual assets, I want to quickly reconcile. I've moved everything over and have it on a schedule. It doesn't have that right now, Jeremy. Wow. How do you not have that? Like any software person out there that has software and it's going to be used by financial minds, if you don't have a way to at least get a CSV for it, please do better. Please. Yep. No, I, I think it's the difference between what a programmer considers a minimum viable product and what the accountant that uses it would consider a minimum viable product. I think there are very different answers there. 
Man, that is ridiculous. Jeremy, two out of three. four. Yeah. And like, but the two added screw up the ones at the end and had no idea. But yeah, that's it. I like it. Hey, 50%. That's exactly our sweet spot in this show. Mediocre all day, every day. Congratulations. Amen. Thank you. And like, let's use that to segue to a game that I have for you that goes a little bit. You know, you talk about wanting to reconcile numbers, right? Like the bread and butter that is our accounting role. I got some interesting random factoids for you in a game that I'm calling CP No Way. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Oh, I'm stoked already. Let's do this. All right. Let's do this. So like we do double entry accounting, right? What century was that created or came up with? I'm going 1700s. 1700s. And this is not fast figures. So I'm going to say right away. No, it was the 15th century. I can tell you Luca Pacioli. Wow. I was just going to say that. And I was not going to pronounce his name right. Yeah. yeah. He he was supposedly the mistress, the mister of some famous Da da Vinci. There you go. Well, I don't know. All I heard is like they collaborated and you could take that any way you want. I feel like we should collaborate sometimes, Tyler. No. (laughs) Oh, let's move on from that one. Okay. First, so we talked CP, no way. The first CPA exam, where was that administered? The state and what year? Hoboken, New Jersey. (laughs) Oh, it was actually in New York in 1896. I am. I was really surprised that that credential goes that far back, honestly. Yeah, I would not have guessed. Huh. I feel like I know some CPAs that got the first in the first round, though. That, that <laughs> I think yeah. they're still practicing. We end up taking the books over from them a lot. Yes, absolutely. Oh, Lord. Along the same lines, when did the first woman receive the first CPA credential? So the first one was done in 1896. This feels like a trap question. But I'm going to go 1932, Jeremy. Wrong. Again, I'm glad you're preemptively wronging yourself because you're, you're correct in that aspect. 1899. So only three years later. I wow. thought like that is super cool for our industry because I, I don't know about you, but like I, it has to be. And I tried to find this. I found all sorts of random numbers, but like 60 to 70 percent of people in finance are female. I feel like this point. Like it's a very shifted to female industry. So I thought this was super cool that the Christine Ross, who was as a Canadian and from Nova Scotia, she took the exam in her early twenties and there was a little bit of, of like hubbub and should she get it or not. But like three years within the, the credential being created, she was awarded the first CPA. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, pretty awesome. Did you know there's an accounting hall of fame? <laughs> well, then it must not be very good because you and I are not in it. No, I was going to say, if you want aspirations, what U.S. university established this? Okay, it can't be like a party school. It can't be like Florida or Arizona State. I don't feel like it would be anywhere known for their football or anything like that. So, like, I'm going to go Gonzaga. Can you give yourself one more of those? Another wrong? Yeah. Double wrong? The Ohio State University, who is well known for football and many other things. They have the Accounting Hall of Fame that was founded in 1950. So, like, I feel like we should get fast-tracked to that somehow. Ohio didn't have enough with baseball that they're like, yeah, we're going to take accounting too? Right. Come on. Like, give give some to some other people. And the Football Hall of Fame. 
apparently, I don't know, whatever. Thanks, Ohio. What place in the United States do accountants earn the most? Where in the United States? I'm scared because I'm about to be the first shutout. <laughs> and unaccountable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Repeat the question, please. Where in the United States, Tyler Otto, do accountants earn the most salary on average? I'm going to go two of the major markets. So I'm guessing either New York or LA. In that regard, I'm going to go New York. Washington, D.C. <sighs> to be fair, like these are hard questions, but like, yeah, they earn over $110,000 annually on average in Washington, D.C. That makes sense because there's a lot of shady lawmakers that they need to get them out of all their tax obligations so they can pass on their obligations to the rest of us. Makes sense. <laughs> yes. That's how that's how the uh, U.S. government works, right? Wow. Love it. Yeah, some fun CPA facts for you. Ian, do we have anything prepared for the first ever shutout? Like Jeremy just pitched a no-hitter. Sound. It is everyone's favorite time of today where we have an app snack where we take a bite out of an app in our industry that's doing some interesting things. And Jeremy, would you like to introduce this week's app snack? I would. This week we're going to look at Uncat. So for those of you who may not know this one, it is a, I don't want to say simplistic, but it's a very focused tool that helps bookkeepers and accountants get information from their clients on uncategorized transactions. So like, that's why the Uncat comes in there. I believe all of their marketing material has a cat dressed as Zorro riding a horse. And I love it. But like, to me, this one is like direct and it's cheap, right? It's like $5 a month per client, right? And it gets you out of, Hey, let me export this out of QuickBooks and send this to the client and they do their thing and screw it all up and send it back to me. And then I got to input it back in helps automate one of the biggest struggles in our industry, which is getting information on clients of things that are internal that we don't know about that aren't regular expenses that they have, right? Absolutely, no, it's an easy way to push the questions over to the client. And the big thing that they have going for them that other client management softwares don't is they do integrate with QuickBooks Desktop. You know, they also mm -hmm. do QuickBooks Online and Xero. Yeah. QuickBooks Desktop, I think, is really the application where they might be doing something that I don't think anyone else can deliver. Do you think that's a good strategy? I think as long as you have the other two, and I think like they're a good one, like especially when you're first starting out, is like how do I start to lean on an app to get rid of a pain point for me? And this is a specific one that's pretty obvious really early in your journey as an accountant working with clients that like, hey, let's have this, let's put it in place, let's work through the process, let's get a, a procedure in place and this is how we do it, how we go to market, we tell our clients like, hey, we're not gonna send you spreadsheets, we're gonna get you right to this place, it's gonna have everything there, you're gonna get a notification when stuff's out, you can send it back to me. I just think it's an easy one to like, when you're starting to dip a toe into apps and getting, getting efficiencies. Yes, it's definitely an easy tool. Jeremy, I hope you don't hate me, you know, I look at this and like for some softwares, there are other tools that are a little bit more robust that have yeah. this as just a side feature, not just their main feature. Like yeah. for me, I use Keeper because my big thing is I love clients all having one space to go for everything I need them to do. And Keeper, this is just a feature, which, you know, Keeper, even at 10 bucks a month right now, I think just off the open market, double the price, but you get a whole lot more features. 
But if you, again, you're looking for that QuickBooks desktop option or just something super basic for your client, this can be a good solution. Yeah. And I feel like it's even, you can use it as a stepping stone, right? Like someday you may want to go beyond them, but like a good thing just to get rid of a problem for a low cost really quickly. I think they're a great option. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jeremy, that's all we have for an app snack this week. And now I think, you, did I hear that you were going to take in the news and turn it into a game? Yeah. So like huge news this week regarding the ERC or the employee retention credit coming from the IRS that they're pausing things, right? So we got to gamify this in a lovely little game. We're going to call that escalated quickly RC. Want to play some of that, Tyler? I would love to play. Let's do this. Seeing as you already failed the other game this time, I'm like, I'm giving you A, B, and C options for all of yeah. them. So you can go, okay. So let's see. The ERC program, it only started three years ago, but what percent of the applications have been received in the last 90 days? Is it 5%, 10%, or 15%? I'm going big. I'm going 15 yeah, that is correct. 15%. So there's been 3.6 million of these put in and 600,000 have been in the last 90 days. So Wow. Actually, no. So I read an article about this yeah. where it was, I think it was commissioner or whoever was over the program, but saying like they were expecting by this point, they would just be down to a trickle of claims coming in and they equated it to it's a tsunami that's coming in. Like, the, yeah. the claims just be, keep coming faster and faster because of all of these mills that are just, they're contacting clients, business owners like crazy. As I said, I have gotten a call this week from one of those mills just saying, hey, can we talk to the business owner or the especially bookkeepers? We want to get your clients in ERC. Like they are aggressively pushing, telling yeah. everyone they qualify and that they can get you $26,000 an employee no matter what. Right. Oh yeah. And it's, it's just gotten ridiculous. Like I have clients that every other day they get something in the mail and they're like, got another one, Jeremy, got another, another one, one, Jeremy. Another one, another one, another. Yeah. Good call. All right. Next one. The, the congressional budget office, they projected the ERC would cost $85 billion. How much have they paid out to date, Tyler? 120 billion. So that is already, what is that? 50% higher than they expected. Yeah. That's the low option. 230 what? billion or 300 billion. Are you serious? Yes. Those are my, uh, I'm going big, 300. Nope, 230, but still already, what is that? I got bad head math here, but. Wait, that's like just under triple? Yeah, that's a lot. 230 wow. billion. Who came up with this projection? Like who is the accountant or the financial person? Well, I, I mean, they I mean, they, there's no way they could have thought like, hey, we're just going to have massive fraud and tons of people go to town saying, yes, I qualify. But how did you also not see this coming if like you have an IRS that's overworked that doesn't double check any of this and they just issue the payments and all these business owners, they just hear from these firms that you qualify for 26K and they assume like, well, of course I must qualify because why would this company lie to me? Right. Like they think that there's some liability from these mills that prepare it when there's not like yeah. the business owner accepts all the liability. Yeah. And I feel like I, I'm going to screw up the story, Tyler, big surprise, but they're like, I think it was England when it was like India was a commonwealth of them or whatever, where they, and they had a snake problem. So for every snake, 
that somebody turned in, they got like a ruble or a ruby or whatever, right? So then people started breeding snakes because they would get money for it. And suddenly there's more snakes than you would expect or than there was before. So yeah, this to me just like screams out fraud and like you're incentivizing people for the wrong thing. I mean, that's a perfect analogy because yeah, there's just yeah. so many more snakes now. And I mean snakes <laughs> yeah. in that term. Yeah, like, absolutely. It is blown up. It is, yeah. yeah it's, I mean, it's its own industry right now. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get to that. only one more. So which of these are false? So it's three statements, which are false. The IRS is allowing any one of the 600,000 outstanding claims to be withdrawn by the claimants right now. Yep. Second option is the IRS is setting up a settlement program for people to pay back the money if it was an errantly claimed. Okay. Uh-huh. And the third option is the IRS is not holding business owners accountable if they went through one of the ERC mills. Okay. That one's easy. They are definitely holding all of those business owners accountable. Yeah, you are correct. Yes. But my question is like, what are they defining as a mill? Right. So like I, our firm has helped our clients, some of them, and it's probably on 10 to 12, maybe do this process. Am I going to be considered an ERC mill? Well, I don't think it matters. I think no matter what, like it's on the client at the end of the day to know, you know, the regulations. I think, you know, unless you're the certified tax preparer that's submitting it, whoever signs that return as the preparer is going to be the one that's on the hook. And so that's why the IRS now they're coming back because they're realizing like a lot of business owners probably took this money because they thought they qualified. And that's, you know, I was reading that they're going to set up a program where you can go pay it back if you can admit that you screwed up and you accepted an ERC when you don't qualify, like look over the rules again. And this could really hurt some business owners who like took that money and maybe reinvested it into the business to help grow it because they full heartedly thought they qualified. They were not trying to deceive or commit fraud, but now they got to find a way to pay it back. I think, you know, judging by the IRS, I don't think they're ever going to have the bandwidth to go after this as hard as they want. But like, there's probably going to be some people that are audited and said, nope, you owe 180K back. Luckily, hotels, it's pretty easy to justify when they had to close their doors for uh, whatnot. So I'm not as concerned on our world. And then, yeah, I also read that part about they're allowing any one of these 600,000 are current outstanding. You can contact the IRS and say, never mind, and get off their angry list. Okay, but you have to, that's the right way to do it. You call them and just say like, here's my EIN number. And so I was looking at this on Friday, so I don't recall exactly, but I remember they were saying like, hey, they will have a method to do it. They are setting it up. You know, today is Wednesday. I don't know if they have given that guidance yet. God knows that's going to be an easy process. (laughs) Right. Please fax us this document to the IRS when you want to withdraw your claim. (laughs) No, this is, this seriously, this is such huge. I mean, you could have gone like the 1970s through like 2010 and never experienced some of the things that happened in taxes in the last couple of years of them changing mileage mid year of them just giving money back of them changing the due dates of them all of a sudden giving a credit and then stopping it. Like this is all just absurd. It's almost becoming like a current event sort of thing where you didn't have to really know the current events of the IRS before. So it's absurd. I love it. And you will see you're the kind of guy would love like you are willingly getting into the tax preparing recently in the perfect storm of tax stuff because you're insane. Mm -hmm. A little bit. I absolutely love it. Oh, Lord. 
Jeremy, that's all we got for In the News, but fear not, because we still have time for one last game. And it's our staple. It's our jam. It's Fast Figures. Jeremy, I'm going to put you, for those listeners that don't know, we're going to put a minute-ish on the clock and give you ten, well, some accounting, some shenanigan questions that all have an exact numerical answer. Now, Jeremy, we've had some pretty low bars set so far this episode, so we need (laughs) something over 60%. You feel you're up for the challenge? I feel like I could go over here, too, just to make sure we hit an all-time low. (laughs) Our worst episode yet. Depending on how you do, that may be the title. Uh, (laughs) Our worst episode yet. And here we go. Meals while attending a seminar, convention, or a conference are deductible at what percentage for a business? 50%. What is pi to the third decimal place? 3.1415 something. That's all I know. Assuming you qualify, how much money do you get per child on the child tax credit? 5,000. How many hours of ethics trainings do EAs need every single year? Uh, 20, 24. How many syllables are in a haiku? 17? Meals are provided to your team as an appreciation dinner are deductible at what percent? 100. How many ghosts are in the classic game of Pac-Man? Oh, four? Within $5,000, what was the median household income for 2022, courtesy of census.gov? 82,000. How many years later can you submit an amended tax return for a refund? Seven. According to Forbes, as of the end of 2022, nearly one in blank companies in the U.S. still doesn't have a website. One in a hundred. All right, Jeremy. Let's see how you did. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm rather impressed early on. Uh, Back to the questions. First up, meals while attending a seminar, convention, or conference are deductible at what percent? You said 50%. Nice. That is, in fact, correct. Those meals are deductible at 50% versus the hundreds, which, spoiler alert, we'll get into those later. Yeah, so make sure, like, regardless of the answer, make sure you're splitting them out right when, you, when yes. you're putting these postings in your client books. Yes, make sure you have that very clearly documented because yeah. it makes your life so much easier come uh, tax time. Yeah. Jeremy, pi to the third decimal place, you said 3.14159, which is incorrect in, you know, three decimal places, but you are right. It is 3.141. Uh, well done, sir. Way to nice. know nerd facts. Whew. I'm I'm not Tyler level nerd, but pretty pretty good level nerd. Assuming you qualify, how much money do you get per child on the child tax credit? You said five thousand. The correct answer was two thousand. Oh, okay. I thought to myself after I answered it was three, but that was even too high. Did it used to be three? I don't know. I mean, I always wonder why here in Utah we have so many kids in all these families. We had a family up the road from us growing up that had 13 kids. And I'm like, did the 26,000 you get back really, really make up for having 13 cows to feed in that house and everything? It It's funny you say that because I have a neighbor whose son was born on January 1st. And right away I go to like, oh, you missed out on that tax deduction. 
credit or whatever. Yeah. I love that's where you immediately go. Yes. Question four. How many hours of ethics training do EAs enrolled agents need every year? You said 24. The correct answer is only two. Now, yes, what? they have to do continuing education every year. Uh, and that continuing education, it's actually 72 hours over three years, but 16 of it has to be every year. So, like, they make sure you're not, you know, loading it all in the last year. But of that 16 each year, only two hours have to be on ethics, which might explain also how we got into the ERC predicament we're in. Anyways, uh, explains a lot. Yes, it does. That's how those things escalate. <laughs> Jeremy, how many syllables are in a haiku? You thoughtfully said 17. Is it 575, right? It is 575. In fact, I prepared a little haiku for you. Oh, this is me. Jeremy was right, and we still love him most days. Now let's get tacos. (laughs) Did you have one if I got it wrong, too? Yeah, I just got changed the word right for wrong. Jeremy was wrong, but we still love him most days. Actually, that's what I've written here. I expected you to get it wrong. <laughs> oh, fine. I'm glad I got it right, and let's get some damn tacos. Love it. Jeremy, next question. Meals provided to your team as an appreciation are deductible at what percentage? You said 100. That is correct. And Jeremy, I... For most of this, why does it even matter to break it out on the books? I see a lot of bookkeepers who don't think this is worth their time. What do you say to those bookkeepers or even business owners that are like, why do we care? Well, I mean, like, if you want to be completely compliant on this, right, your tax preparer is going to put this in different line items on your tax filing. And let's say you have $5,000 of travel meals, right? That only gets deducted at $2,500 or 50% of that. That is the only legal allowable deduction that you can make for those expenses. So, and I think that was increased to 80 or hundred percent during the COVID thing because they wanted people to go out and do yeah, things. Three martini rule. Yeah. So, so, is that what it's called? Really? That was part of the thing there. It was the whole encourage people to go out for lunch and whatnot. And, <laughs> I don't know. I guess it was a name from the Mad Max day. Not Mad Max. Uh, Mad Mad Men days. Yeah. Very different shows. Yes, those are different shows. Yeah. But just like, again, it all comes back to compliance and and doing the right thing. Yes. I mean, and so I even have a little graphic I've got for my team that's in our SOP library showing like, yeah, meals for meetings, for employees, owners, shareholders, and agents, 50%. Meals for clients with customers and vendors, 50%. Business travel, 50%. Conferences, seminars, 50 versus meals for employee appreciation, company events, 100, uh, snacks and meals provided in the office for staff, 100, meals as part uh, of a promotional public event, that's 100. And so making sure you know everyone has that resource quickly available is, is a good thing to have if you're running a firm. Do you think we can throw the unaccountable logo on that and put it for sale on the website? Unaccountable. Unaccountable.co. Get your own cheat sheet on meals. No, this is part of it. Go to unaccountable.co if you want our fancy little graphic. And maybe one day when we get legit and open up our Facebook group and everything, go there as well. Hey, one day we're going to be legit, Jeremy. Yes. Question six. Let's just go with that. How many ghosts are there in a classic game of Pac-Man? You said four. You are correct. Four in Pac-Man. That tells me a man that knows his stuff. I think I can name them. Inky, Pinky, oh. Blinky, and Sue, right? Wow. We're going to have to Google if that's right. I believe that's their names. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm honestly speechless for the first time. Maybe I'm just different kind of nerd. <laughs> not, not lesser nerd than you. 
Jeremy, within 5K, what was the median household income way for, for 2022 according to census.gov? You said 82 grand? You were close. The answer is 74.5. So okay. you were off by like 3K of the window. But yeah. I think that's interesting to note because if that's the median household income, I know a lot of people that are trying to get into the bookkeeping and accounting game. And if you hustle at this, like we know a lot of people that within their first year have been able to make that income level and kind of hold it, which is really impressive yeah. to be able to become your own boss and make the median wage in this country. Oh, yeah. And it's not an unsurmountable thing to do either, right? Like just go out there, put in the time and do it and enjoy the spoils and enjoy the ro enjoy the roller coaster the rest of us are on. Jeremy, how many years later can you submit an amended tax return for a refund? You said seven. Yes, as you are showing gang symbols on the screen, or that's a, a west side or a three, you are right. It is three. And which also begs the question why this ERC thing is such an issue is because they thought that people after the 2022 tax year wouldn't be submitting all these returns, but they actually have to amend their returns by 2024. So that's why this is going to be winding or wrapping up at some point, but also while they're putting a halt on it, because there still is time to submit amended tax returns. Yep. And I knew as soon as I said that, I was like, that was way too long. Last question. According to Forbes, as of the end of 2022, nearly one in blank companies in the U.S. still don't have a website. You said? I said 100, and that's low too, isn't it? One in three. One in three companies don't have a website? One in three, and they are counting all small businesses in the U.S. This is according to Forbes at the end of last year. But, Ian, give me a second. I, can I, question, one in three, I thought it would have been, like, after I said one in a hundred, I'm like, oh, it's going to be one in, like, 10,000 that these people have businesses and aren't setting up a website. Are we including like a Facebook page in the website? Does that count? I feel like that. I do it. not know. Forbes uh. did not get us their methodology, but uh, I could go check the references for you. But they say only 71% of businesses have a website, meaning 29% of businesses do not have a place where you can go online to learn more about them, a, a dedicated website. Which, you know, I will say, having trying to get like the stove fixed at our house from an appliance repair company or, you know, having people come do HVAC work. Like there's a lot of them. You get referrals from a buddy who has a guy who messages you their phone number and that's the only way to get a hold of them. So, I mean, I believe it, but I'm still surprised to hear that 29% of businesses don't have a website. I will even say in all the bookkeeper communities you and I are in, I have been interested when I see someone showing up a lot of places. I'm like, oh, I want to look at what their firm's about. I've been surprised how many people don't have a website for even their bookkeeping and accounting firms. Before I forget, you don't pay that appliance guy cash, right? Under the table, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. No. Ooh. Uh, no, I agree. But I, I, I'm surprised by that too. But I am also surprised by the amount of them that say, I didn't set up a website for two years when I was at $100,000 of revenue already. Right? Like there are people out there that just go build the network here's my card, here's the phone number, and just like, yeah, pull up the bootstraps and do it. Yeah, and those are the same people that contact Jeremy Van Grohl and say, hey, I got to 100,000 in two years. I've also never had an accounting software once. Um, what do I do? <laughs> yes, that's true. That is also true. Oh, man, yes. Jeremy, 
I'm impressed. Six out of 10, sir, which again is a little bit above average for us. I would say that's a success. As long as Ian doesn't start playing back after me, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> well, Jeremy, it is time for the announcement of our winner and loser. I know that I probably lost this week, but really, let's get away from you and I. Who is our winner of the week? Oh, yeah. Let's do that. I think the winner of the week this week, well-trained financial professionals. The IRS put out a thing this week that they're hiring 3,700 new agents with a compensation package valued at around $175,000. I think it was like one twenty-five dollars in wage. And then like the benefit side of things and uh, training, childcare, all of that stuff. Right. Wow. So they're really, they're really leaning in to researching and trying to catch. And it says the high worth or high uh, revenue individuals that may be cheating out on their taxes. That is insane. I mean, the issue with the IRS for the longest time has been nobody wants to work there that has any sort of experience because you can always go make more money elsewhere. Knowing that the government is at least looking to get some people in there with some skill sets, some knowledge. I mean, this is actually very attractive for some people. There are stipulations, right? I think you may need to be a CPA or have the related knowledge or like experience and have some audit experience as well. But they also read that there's an option that they're doing it remotely. So you don't have to move to the terrible state of Utah to even do it. <laughs> Wait, why are you ragging on Utah? It is wonderful. <laughs> ah, so yeah, that would be the, the winner of the week. If you are uh, that qualified person and want to be an IRS agent and go catch those rich people, hey, make some bank while doing it. And who do we have for a loser? Loser this week, I don't know if you've heard of this firm, and I couldn't figure out, I tried to do some research on how big they were, but this firm called Croft & Frost, they are out of Chattanooga, a CPA firm, who closed its doors, and it said a lot of people that were out of a job because of this, but they also noted that there were months of delayed paychecks, not something that should have been a surprise to the people that, that work there. Like, if you have a business that you work for, and they're delaying your paycheck, Pretty good red flag there that if that doesn't happen only once or something, you may want to start asking some questions and touch up the old resume and maybe give the IRS a call. <laughs> I, I'm looking at this link you posted. First of all, I mean, yes, from Going Concern, I love their articles. Uh, but yeah, the shady Chattanooga accounting firm went down in flames. Uh, and what's interesting, Jeremy, is before the show, you were talking to me about one of these two owners kind of being touted as highly knowledgeable in our space. Yeah, so the I found an article that from the New York Business Now that the Frost of Croft and Frost was a name. I'm I'm quoting the article here: a name synonymous with courage and discipline, as he believes they are the foundation to all personal, professional, and financial successes. Oh, that didn't age well, sir. Oh. There are there are a lot of voices out there claiming they know a lot in our industry, which is why it's good. We have they have you and I who claim to know nothing. We're balancing out all of those people. That's right. Oh man. But yeah, again, if you're if you were there and you're out, that again, we feel for you. I'm not trying to to have fun with anybody's poor luck, but like the job market's still hot too. Like go find something. If the IRS isn't your isn't your bag, like go find another job out there. We need the financial professionals in the world. Well, Jeremy, I think we very successfully had a very okay show. Uh, you know, 50% of the time it works every time, right? Yeah. Well, Jeremy, until next time, where can our 
loyal listener, both of them actually now, find us and uh, leave us a review. That would be at unaccountable.co. .co, not com, .co, because we thrifty, folks. We thrifty. So, unaccountable.co. Um, also, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, unless it's negative. Then just do what everyone else does and just throw bricks at our house. Like, that's the old-fashioned way, and we'd appreciate that more. Until then, Jeremy, keep being mediocre, man, and we'll talk with you next week. Sounds great. E-R-C. E-R-C. E-R-C.